Well, there were like four or five couples that me and my partner had kind of hooked up with like last year that we were hoping to get back in touch with for some, you know, fun, sexy times. Um, but then, you know, like just various scheduling conflicts meant that we hadn't seen them in a while. So then I had to reach out to them and be like, hey, about that foursome we were going to have at some point. Uh, that's not happening anymore. And then I had to reach out to like Comet partners who we see like very infrequently and then say to them like, hey, you know, uh, we're not together anymore, but I'm more than happy for you to pursue like a, a connection with them separately from me. But we will need to talk about what the boundaries of that will look like, right? If you want to maintain a friendship or like sexual relationship with both of us. But first, a word from our sponsors. Welcome to the Man Whore Podcast. Shout out to all the gym rats, to the stage kittens, to the motor bunnies. This is Billy Presida, and you are listening to the Man Whore Podcast. Welcome to the show. Uh, th- this week on the pod, our main guest is Leanne Yao. She is the brainchild behind Polyphilia Blog. You've probably seen her memes on social media. We'll be talking about polyamory breakups, as well as what it's like dating as a neurodivergent person. Looking forward to sharing that one with you all in a bit. But before I do, you're going to hear me interview Dr. Nicole Prousey, who just released some really great research about the NoFap movement. Uh, And we'll just say it's efficacy, a word I rarely get to use. Uh, And that'll be coming up very, very shortly. But first, first is very important. I tell you that March 18th is the Naked Comedy Show at Hacienda. Yep, yep. Because the first couple of shows sold out so far in advance, we're doing two shows. We're doing 8 o'clock and a 10 o'clock great lineups. Lineups that feature some former Man Whore podcast guests you might recognize. Rachel Green, Madeline Smith, the two-timer, Calvin Cato, Patrick Holbert. The ticket link is going to be at the top of the show notes. It's also uh, the ticket link in my bio on Instagram. And that was somebody paying me for a half-hour consultation call. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's going to be a great time. I, of course, will be emceeing both shows. Hope you'll come on out to the Orgy House in Bushwick for some laughs and some genitals, uh, but not genitals, you get the touch. And if for some weird reason you insist on seeing me perform with my clothes on, I mean, like, I guess you can do that. Uh, March 21st, I will be at Young Ethel's in Brooklyn at 9 p.m. And March 23rd, I will be at the Tiny Cupboard out here in Bushwick on the 7 p.m. show. Not stand-up related, but definitely dates you're going to want to save. I announced them at the end of last week's episode. Man Whore Con 2023. A Man Whore Con that needs to shove three cons in one because, you know, we missed a couple. Over the past few years, uh, Man Whore Con this year is going to be August 3rd through 6th. Save the dates in your cows, arrange your time off, start looking at flights, make your plans accordingly. I have literally no information other than August 3rd through 6th here in New York City. More details coming soon in the coming weeks. Minimal details about coming. Okay, uh, now Dr. Nicole Prousey, she's a researcher who just released uh, a study about 
the NoFap movement, if you're unaware, she'll go into detail. But basically, NoFap is a movement that like mostly exists on Reddit and like weird forum boards. It's just sad men who are telling each other not to jerk off for reasons. And she's going to tell us if if there's really any benefit to doing this. Hello, Dr. Nicole Prowsey. Hi, glad to be on to chat about this. We're excited it's finally out. You did some research about the NoFap movement, which Indeed. I didn't even know was called the re- Reboot. I didn't even know that was a name for it. Yeah, Reboot's like the umbrella. So it's this general idea that if you abstain from masturbation and or pornography for 30 or 90 or however many days they've decided that day is the right number of days that you'll reboot or reset your brain back to its original healthy state. I mean, is that based on (laughs) anything? No. Like not the porn part, but the like resetting (laughs) in general. Is that like a thing? No, that doesn't happen. I'm not sure where they got the idea. Our best guess is uh, there are certified sex addiction therapists that use a similar kind of idea when they're working with people who think they have a sex addiction problem. So maybe that's where they picked it up from. But there's really no science behind those recommendations. Well, well, why why, why don't you tell us uh, uh, the basics of like what your study uh, Mm -hmm. was about? What were you looking for? I hear there's a word called a hypothesis we once used in grade school. (laughs) I think that might have been involved. Oh, I'm going to get to use the hypothesis word. So (laughs) uh, I study orgasm physiology normally. I do neuroscience. You know, we have people come in and masturbate to climax in the lab and study the physical processes around that. So we saw that some people from these groups were saying, oh, you know, this is bad for you. And there's a dopamine spike that happens with climax that that we know didn't have doesn't actually happen. And so those groups had kind of always been at the periphery. And then there were a series of studies that we'd say were qualitative. So that is, they just interviewed people who were practicing Reboot or NoFap and Mm -hmm. uh, trying to see what they were claiming or saying. And all the qualitative studies are like, this looks bad. (laughs) There was a lot of misogyny in the forums. People were kind of calling each other names, encouraging self-harm, like punch yourself in the genitals so that you don't masturbate. And we're like, that sounds like a really bad idea. So we said, you know, we should actually quantitatively do a study and and test what their claims are. So one of the main claims they make is if you view too much pornography or masturbate too much, you have erectile dysfunction. There's really no scientific basis for that. But then they say, if you abstain and if you pay us to help you abstain, then you'll get your erectile functioning back. So that was one of the things we tested is if you're more engaged with the NoFap forums, uh, practices, do you actually have better erectile functioning? And for example, in that case, we found exactly the opposite. The more engaged people were, the worse their erectile functioning was. Mm -hmm. So it's really just kind of taking for the first time seriously some of their claims and piece by piece (laughs) testing different aspects of them to see, you know, what's really true. And and is their goal in doing reboot in rebooting and doing no fat? The goal is improved erectile, like improved sexual performance. It's is it to like are they not getting hard ons and they think this is going to fix it? It's everything. So if okay. you read some of the claims, they get made fun of sometimes for claiming superpowers. So like growing your hair, increasing your penis size, things that almost definitely couldn't happen. But then also some more banal things, just like your depression will improve. You'll become more confident with women. You can pick women up more easily. There's a lot of kind of pickup artist stuff in the forums. I mean, I've kind of <laughs> fucked for a living and I jerk off a lot. Like, so I don't know. It's 
It does, I don't, I, I, my data says that that's full of shit. <laughs> I say like the simplest explanation is usually the correct one. So I say, well, people who masturbate a lot probably have a high sex drive. And that's generally what we found. You know, it's like, if you masturbate a lot, you are more likely to use toys. You're more likely to do lots of other sexual things, including viewing pornography, including group sex, including, you know, anal, all kinds of things. So, you know, to me, it's, this is a very strange kind of, uh, wall to set up to say, oh, you know, this is too much. Like masturbation at this level is, uh, you know, not going to be acceptable and you can't do that. But sex with a partner, as long as it's properly directed, like, yeah. okay, this just sounds like old rehashed religious shame or something uh, that's been repackaged and now it's being sold, you know, by reboot coaches online and, and a new brand of life coach. Ultimately, you found out that the more someone engaged in these forums, the worst things got. Did y'all come up with any ideas for me why that might be? It depends what kind of messaging they're getting in the forum. So some of what we asked them is to what extent have you seen a variety of different kinds of posts? Um, so we asked if they'd seen posts that were misogynists, uh, you know, making sexist comments about women, if they'd seen anti-Semitic comments, because there's this idea that Jews control the pornography industry and they're causing race mixing. Yeah, of what? Course. <laughs> I know this is... It was a little strange to me too. When I first started doing research in this area, I got a lot of anti-Semitic death threats and I was like, where's the anti-Semitism from in this? I, it, they can't it. control everything. There's so few of them. <laughs> what they can't, they can't control all the media. So it, it was very strange. Um, we asked also if they had observed homicidal content. So like encouraging people to kill others or harm other people. And then we asked about suicidal content and people endorse these at surprisingly high rates. So they said, mm -hmm. yes, we've seen these things in the forums. In particular, uh, they said one in five people who visited the forum saw homicidal content. We said, excuse me, <laughs> what are they threatening to do to people? So we have a follow-up paper that's under review now where uh, we kind of break down, like what are the death threats, the rape threats, and a lot of them are directed at the pornography industry. So they're like, if I ever see anyone who did this to me, because that's how they view it, you know, it was done to me, I'm a victim, mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to, I'm going to kill them. And they describe in like graphic detail, they name specific producers in some cases, it's very scary stuff. Like, and we I, saw this happen. This, this is what happened in fucking, what was it outside of Atlanta? Uh, we think, yeah, we're very concerned about those kind of issues. And there was a guy, um, our paper goes into some detail. I don't know if you recall the guy in the UK who walked out his front door, like killed his mother and then killed some poor random folks in the street before he died by suicide. And uh, it turns out this guy was talking about doing NoFap all over Reddit like the month before he did that. Now he hasn't said it was connected. He didn't say, you know, this is in the name of reboot and walk out the door or anything. But these guys who appear to actually be acting on this violence are in these forums. And we don't know how much of a problem it goes from like just talking about doing these terrible things to actually acting on them. But of course that's a concern. And what concerns me is that like, you know, there's plenty of them I'm sure showing up there with a sincere concern about what they might think is erectile dysfunction, but might actually just be like nerves because so many people who like think they have ED because their dick didn't get hard a few times. Like they think it's because there's something wrong and really just might've been nervous. And when you're nervous, you don't usually get nice boners. And to me, I think, well, yeah, the more you're on these forums focused on the issue of my dick's not getting hard, the more your dick's not going to get hard. It's like the self-fulfilling prophecy. 
that was kind of what these qualitative studies had said before. So we had a, a previous paper that we found exactly that. We asked the guys in these forums about their anxiety symptoms and about how much pornography they were viewing. And you know what predicted their erectile functioning? Anxiety, not porn viewing. So mm -hmm. this is just not what they should be doing. And, and of course, that's well known. There are lots of therapists, groups, interventions that help with erectile function for real that can actually improve the anxiety and the concerns people have around that. Um, this is why like Viagra is one of the least refilled prescriptions. And part of why we think that happens is guys get Viagra, they use it a few times, they feel better, they feel more confident. And that was really the mechanism. Like the drug just helped them feel better in the bedroom or, or wherever they were having sex. And so then they didn't need to continue to use it. So they don't refill. And, and I've, I've been that person. I have, oh, I really? have very years ago, I had a Bluetooth sponsorship. So like I did use uh -huh. uh, that product. Um, I currently have a sponsored joy mode, which is a more natural based one. But the point is like, I don't have erectile dysfunction. Most of the people who need it don't. You know why I use it when I've used either of these products is to let myself know I've got some backup. Yeah. You know, I was like, just in yeah, case absolutely. I get a little nervous, you know what? This stuff is going to kind of help make it work even if I'm nervous. And then it becomes so fulfilling. Like one time I was having trouble getting hard with the same woman. And so I, I took two, uh, two, <laughs> like two pills and mm -hmm. then like had this great sex session. Next time I saw her, I took one, had a great sex session. The time after that, I took none, had a great, right. It was just, I'm I just, just going to describe you every time now. That's exactly the process. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it helps the anxiety. And, you know, so like when you say I have two in my back pocket, it's like the pills might've helped, or it may have just been knowing I had two in my pocket and yeah. saying like, this is going to be fine. Cause I have two. You know, is there anything else that you want people to know? Is there anything that you think is really important for like the general public that they really need to hear? I think two quick pieces. One is there's probably no harm in, you know, not masturbating for a period. It really seems to be the particular groups that are promoting it that are. Yeah, we're not bullying people to masturbate. Yeah, or we're I just don't saying. need you to masturbate. Let's <laughs> 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 do what you want to do. <laughs> that That's totally fine. But the other aspect is we often say like, oh, parents talk to your kids about porn. Parents, guess what? Now you got to talk to your kids about anti-porn. You don't want your youth on these forums. Um, they're not helpful. They're telling them to self-harm and hurt their genitals. Uh, if your kids are nervous about sex, and they almost by definition are, if they know about it, <laughs> then be sure that you know they have a good outlet to talk to and you, and they can get some good information rather than getting sucked into some of these groups. Well, uh, Dr. Nicole Prousey, thank you again so much for uh, chatting with us. Where can people go to uh, find you, follow you, uh, take in more of your work? I'm going to link to the study in the show notes. Great. I have a website that's librocenter.com, L-I-B-E-R-O-S, center, all one word, .com. And I'm on the, the Twitterverse for now. <laughs> so happy to take questions there and share studies and papers with anyone who might have an interest. Fantastic. Uh, thank you again. And uh, you know, why don't you go ahead and say goodbye to everybody. Thanks for listening. And uh, may you find good sex. Now, that was only about a third of my interview with Dr. Nicole Prousey. The entire interview is already up right now on my Patreon as a bonus episode. You can hear the entire interview at patreon.com slash podcast. March 16th, we've got the, oh my God, there's a fire. Oh, no, 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 no. It's just, it's just hot movie night. Ooh, -wee, it's a hot movie night.
every month in the champagne room our discord server uh my patreon community we gather around we watch a vintage porno together this month we're going to be watching you know i put it to y'all as a vote and i'm telling you if this one sucks i'm i'm getting back to the dictatorial thing and i'm picking but y'all decided we're watching kansas city trucking company from 1976 a classic gay porn about the horny road life of truckers Y'all trying to make me watch gay porn. All right, fine. That'll be at 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. And one person I hope will be there is the recipient of this week's fan horror appreciation moment, Haley Martin. I want to thank you oh so much for supporting the Man Horror Podcast on Patreon. I know two things about Haley, and only two things. I know she's got a killer smile, and I know she supports independent content creation on the internet in this world as again conglomerated upon conglomerated there's little guys like me out here with a microphone just trying to speak some smut uh thanks for supporting the pod hope i'll see you at hot movie night and you too can become a member support the podcast that you love and join us for hot movie night by visiting patreon.com slash man podcast or download the patreon app find me on there but now for this week's guest, Lian Yao, a.k.a. Polyphilia. Let's pull the curtain back and get to know the lady behind the memes. I think kind of what I mean by um, kind of toxic positivity in the polyamorous community is because we, like, because, like, you know, non-monogamous people, we're living a non-normative life, right? We're not following the traditional scripts. There is no kind of, like, uh, kind of social blueprint for like how we do relationships in the same way that most people do. And then so because of that, people are constantly hoping that our relationships will fail because they're like, well, we followed the script. We want to be correct and we don't want you to be happy. Um, and so there's this kind of weird pressure in the polyamorous community to pr just pretend that everything is fine um, and everything is like sunshine and rainbows and compersion like all the time. Um, you know, I see this in people like wanting to pretend that they're not jealous, right? Like they really want to like be like super psyched for their partner going out with their other partner. Um, and they're like, I'm totally fine with this. I don't have any insecurities at all. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, press it down. Um, and I see this in, um, you know, people staying in relationships for like way too long because they don't want to like have to break it to their family that their open marriage didn't work or whatever. And then having to be like, you know, having to face people telling you, well, you know, I told you so I told you these relationships wouldn't work out. You should have listened to me. Um, and, and it really sucks, right? Because, you know, we just want to live our lives. And, um, and I think also that, pretending that everything is fine is going to send people down some really toxic thought spirals in terms of like, um, you know, having to deny your own emotions and deny your own reality and also not being able to talk about it for fear of like exposing that God forbid there are problems in your relationship. You know, who doesn't have to be toxically positive about their relationship style? Monogamous people. <laughs> I never hear people bitch and moan more than like monogamous people especially like older married people i've never heard people complain about people they 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 claim to love more than mm -hmm. someone who's been with somebody for 15 years or like in their early 40s they're like i fucking mm -hmm. hate my wife like, what are you doing why are you here you can go <laughs> yeah so and, and you know and and because like you know polyamory as well like there's like this whole thing about like ethics and honesty and stuff like baked into the culture and that's great love that um but then it also kind of creates this 
phenomenon where if someone behaves badly in polyamory like if someone you know like cheated and then said oh i actually want i'm actually polyamorous and you should let me continue to cheat on you you know and or or like you know just does some other shitty thing then if they if someone like say like brings that to like a facebook group or a reddit thread and said oh my partner did this shitty thing instead of talking about oh wow that's a really that's a real phenomenon that happens and some people are really shitty you know and they they use various relationship styles right we have this happens in kink as well like to um to perpetuate like toxic behaviors instead of doing that instead of having an actual conversation about it they go oh that's not real polyamory what your partner was doing was not real polyamory so we don't need to talk about it they were just really toxic but that's not that's not us that's not us and and there's this mm. there's this whole thing where they try and distance themselves like from from um you know some real kind of like toxic issues that are present in the community and that we should be having conversations about but won't because then we'd have to admit that this relationship style isn't a hundred percent perfect and that there can be issues because, you know, the fear is that it'll create more fuel for the fire. That is, you know, mononormativity and kind of like wanting us to fail. Meanwhile, none of it's actually like poly specific. It's just human specific. It is just humans do shitty things. Humans struggle with honesty, but monogamous, non-monogamous, it doesn't matter that these things happen all over the place. Even the person who cheats and goes, well, I'm poly. You should let me go. I go stop there. Let's just first deal with like, I think I'm polyamorous because that's not going to excuse you from your cheating. And that's not then a reason to then demand something of your partner. But this is now some new information we have, but uh, we're not going to use it to then justify bad behavior or to pressure people into making some sort of agreement they don't want to. Uh, So when they go, I'm poly and I'd be like, shut the fuck up, start, stop there and start a whole new sentence about the other stuff. Yeah, you know, because sometimes it's just not relevant, you know, like, mm-hmm. relationships are relationships. And, you know, the, the like, yeah, obviously, there's some issues that are specific to polyamorous relationships, like, you know, the whole kind of navigating, like, balancing, like, multiple partners needs, or like, you know, what if you don't like your partner's other partner, right? There are very specific issues that only happen in polyamorous relationships. I get that. But also, for the most part, it is about the same kind of stuff, like communication and honesty and trust and respect. Um so, so yeah, like, you know, when, when stuff like that breaks down, you know, a lot of people will naturally just go to like, oh, polyamory must have been the root of the problem. Oh, the whole, you know, like this happened because you're polyamorous. It's extremely invalidating. And I think it, um, it, it, it pushes people to stay in polyamorous relationships that actually don't serve them because they don't want to prove people wrong, which then, you know, creates more toxicity, which is not what we want. And I think I just wish there was much more honesty in the community that like shit does happen basically. Um, yeah. And it's okay when it does happen. You know, I, someone brought, I forget who, but someone also brought up another point of why non-monogamous people will stay in like not great relationships for longer uh, in part with it's like the apathy of it because of having the other relationships Sometimes people Mm. like in a monogamous relationship be like, well, I got to get out of this not good one so I can then go be with better people. And some non-monogamous people might be like, I don't know if I should break up with this person. And because you breaking up with them is not contingent on whether or not you get to experience love or sex elsewhere, it can sometimes like lag that process. Um, Yeah, and I I see that and I hear you and that absolutely does happen. But I also experience the flip side of it, which is when you have multiple partners, sometimes like through kind of experiencing, you know, like different people loving you in different ways, you get to realize like what you actually want and deserve. And then, you know, leave the relationships that aren't serving you. Like absolutely there are people who, you know, uh, and I talk about this on my platform, right? Like I I literally wrote a a tweet thread like very recently where I said polyamory is not cobbling like multiple mediocre relationships together to make like one 
decent relationship like, <laughs> you know or, or like using other partners to 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 kind of like cover up you know what is a very dysfunctional relationship and kind of you know using other people to like kind of just just like cover up the bits you know in a sinking ship right it's it's not it's not that you know like um i very firmly believe that in order for polyamory to work and and just non-monogamous relationships to work like sustainably um there needs to be like a core set of needs that is met in every connection that you have right like i want communication and trust and kind of respect and you know being able to kind of like gently call each other out and accept flaws and stuff like that i want that in every single connection that i have not just romantic ones you know like my sexual relationships my casual relationships my friendships whatever like i need that across the board um and so you know if like there are certain core needs that are not being met in a relationship sometimes having other people around to help me realize what i deserve you know helps me you know let go of you know what is not serving me um but yeah like there is absolutely this you know people can go in two very different directions like absolutely you know the, the apathy that you talk about it definitely does happen but there is a flip side to it as well and uh and it's probably a good time to introduce you're hearing her speak in more than 280 characters at a time uh which is is normally how i take in your wisdom uh we're here with Lian yao who is the uh the brilliant creator behind polyphilia uh, which you've probably seen on TikTok, on Instagram, on Twitter, big time polyamory influencer. Uh, so welcome to the show. I'm glad to finally have you on. Thank you. Yeah, we've been talking for like a while now <laughs> about me coming on the podcast, um, and I'm really excited to finally be here. It feels like the right moment because as we're talking about this, you very recently broke up with a partner. Yes. And so this all must be resonating quite hard for you. Uh, so just kind of bit of context, like I, I think we were originally scheduled for like earlier, earlier in the month, but then uh-huh. I emailed you and I was like, Hey Billy, I'm really sorry, but I'm actually breaking up with my partner today. Uh, so I can't do the interview, uh, because I'm really fucking stressed. Um, and what I um, love about you know, that was that like you, you knew, it seemed like you knew you were going to do this breakup and there was some fantasy you had in your head about like no I could still do this I'm gonna be fine like I'm gonna be, I'm gonna do the interview and then I'm gonna dump my partner who I love who I can't yeah. be with right it's gonna be totally cool so like a couple hours before we were gonna record you're like ah, ah I can't do it I'm like I totally get it totally get yeah it. I mean I had this whole thing planned out right because okay so I'm autistic and you know I'm like very much like I love like planning things like you know my google mm-hmm. calendars like very organized I have like spreadsheets for like lots of things but I'm like podcast at six o'clock and then I'm gonna cry yeah. at nine o'clock what the, what's wrong with that <laughs> yeah so so you know I have like a very methodical way of going about things and then but some but you know in the moment you know I plan everything out and then if something happens in the moment and I'm like oh you know what I actually can't do this but but yeah no like the, the timeline is like I I had a I had a fight with my partner and then you know like the the I broke up with him like three days later and the, that day we happened to have the podcast interview scheduled and I was like it's fine you know I'm gonna come home I'm gonna do the interview and then we'll have a talk but then just the, yeah I mean uh I was being very optimistic I was being extremely optimistic you know I'm glad you, you were extremely empathetic and kind um and understanding and I really really appreciate that um but yeah you know now like I've taken the time I mean ignoring that I totally followed on. it up you're ignoring though that I totally followed up with totally understand unless like you feel like it'd be therapeutic to come up because i will totally take someone <laughs> in a train wreck moment i will i will happily I want, I want record tea. that with them. i want the tea Leanne. <laughs> you know like that's what yeah i mean people i think this is the thing about being like a polyamorous influencer right like people when you when you talk about relationships you know people 
like want to know about like your relationships and what's going on. I mean, this applies to influencers more generally, right? Like you see like with what, you know, the OG YouTube creators like Dan and Phil, like on YouTube, like people have been speculating for over a decade, whether they're a thing, you know, like, yeah, like parasocial relationships get really complex, especially if you are someone who literally talks about relationships. Like people are. And that's why I told you, like, we don't do topic based because, like, we could listen to you talk about like poly tips and stuff. But I feel like most of my audience knows that, and I just feel like we'd all be far more curious your relationship to the topics rather than just someone being an expert. Uh, I feel like on a show where with a a less inducted audience, you know, you mm-hmm. go off, do that. But I'm like, if you're going to come on and talk about poly breaks, I'm like, well, let's talk about like your break. I mean, it just seems like the perfect time. And I know you just did like a really big post about it, um, about, about poly breakups, which y'all can go catch on her, uh, her Instagram at polyphilia blog. You know, so you just had this big breakup and, you know, we, and we discussed via email a little bit, like your hesitancy about talking about Leanne, right? Uh, like we all know polyphilia, but you're like, I don't know how much I want them to know Leanne. So, you know, what what's that like? What's that about? How do you draw which boundaries to have with your audience about your personal life when you're talking about stuff that are going to make people want to know? Yeah. Um, so obviously my content is like based off my personal experiences, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, like I... Uh, you know, like I'm like on the cusp of like millennial and Gen Z. Uh, I'm bisexual. I'm polyamorous and have been since I was 17 years old. Uh, I'm Chinese uh, and I, I'm diagnosed autistic and audio, like ADHD. So, um, you know, like all of these intersections like create like a very unique experience of polyamory for me. Um, and I think because there isn't that much representation of polyamory and the kind of idea of like the polyamorous influencer really only became a thing in the last like year or two, um, which is also, you know, I started this page in November 2020. I haven't been doing this for very long. Wait, um, really? So, no, I haven't. I haven't. I've been running this for like just over two years. What were you doing? You weren't doing any of this pre-pandemic? I feel like you're the nope. name polyphilia I've seen for for. It feels like I've seen that for forever. Nope. Uh, nope. I'm not. I, I started this during the pandemic. Uh, I was in law That's school. That's how prolific you are is because I've seen so much of your name. I'm like, I must have been seeing her for years. yeah i mean i think it's testament to how much i was procrastinating on my law degree um that um you know i poured (laughs) so much time into uh running my page and you know in fact like yeah like i went to uh you know fun fact about me i studied law at oxford university the whole plan was to go to london and become a corporate lawyer um but then i started polyphilia during the pandemic it blew up in a very short space of time and uh i also had a brief stint as a paralegal and realized fuck that shit (laughs) and so now i'm you know i'm doing this full time i've been doing this full time for a year and a half now yeah how have you decided to draw the lines for you know what's on and off limits to your audience in regards to your personal life yeah so um yeah my content's based off my personal life um and is in kind of informed by my personal experiences but i try to kind of give advice that is um you know kind of as generally applicable to most people as I possibly can, because Mm. I mean, I'm not really interested in putting my life and my relationships under a microscope for people Mm. to pick apart and have their own opinions on. I think, you know, particularly with just the audience that I have, um, it can get very toxic very fast. Like, you know, the more people kind of speculating and having theories about like, you know, my, my partners and kind of who they are and what they do and what they, what they said or what they meant when they did this thing. And I don't need that in my life. So, um, you know, just for the sake of my own mental health and just, you know, just setting boundaries generally and also for the privacy of my partners which matters a lot to me i uh yeah like i don't talk about 
my relationships like on my public platform i do mm. share a little bit more detail on my patreon um so i have mm. a weekly video diary where i take some bits from my personal life um and i expand on it you know in in more detail you know to, as you know i usually kind of use them as like case studies to talk about like general kind of topics within polyamory so for example if i'm going through a breakup then i'll talk about kind of polyamorous breakups and you know give insight on that generally if i'm if i had like a threesome then i'll talk about group sex and kind of navigating different situations related to that um and i but you won't talk about doing- like what you personally like and don't like about like because i mm. think there's a middle ground because when i when i hear mm-hmm. you discuss wanting to be private i hear like I don't want to give the personal details and this, that, and the other thing, but also there's so much in between closed mm. off and like bearing all, even I, who I think most would perceive that like, oh, everything's on the table. There's stuff that's not, you just, you know, mm-hmm. the, people don't always know what's not on the table because I usually don't talk about it because I've, I've yeah. agreed you show people to what whatever. You show people what you want them to see ultimately, right? Yeah, well, I'm comfortable, well, I'm comfortable sharing, but you know, I think- mm-hmm. Here, here's my issue with people who are, I, you know, I have a lover who's a little younger, so she's on the TikTok very much. And this is my beef with when she says I learned something on TikTok is, but what's the credentials of that person? And so, you know, what, so we had people who were learning about vaccines from someone who works the cashier at a gas station. It's like, that's not who you learn. There are people who studied the thing. I just feel like we should, I don't go to my mechanic and tell them that they're wrong about my car because I personally don't know shit about cars but like i do know a lot about i don't know the porn industry and if i hear someone spouting off some bullshit then i'm gonna check them because like i know about this thing so Mm -hmm. so i say this to say do you think there's a danger of people taking a lot of like relationship advice sex advice from people who just say stuff don't have necessarily like credentials and also don't share their personal anecdotes or feelings to substantiate it Mm. yeah um i think there is a balance i think you're right and i think that um you know there is value in kind of like following people who like have kind of like qualifications whether it's like a degree or like you know like training or whatever and you know i myself like i'm starting um like a course to become a therapist um you know at the end of this month um Mm. and so you know i'm also interested in kind of getting the credentials needed so i can help more people but then you know i think there's also value in lived experience you know sometimes like yeah like okay you know you wouldn't you 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 might you might you might just kind of take some dude's opinion on TikTok with a pinch of salt, but sometimes some random person on TikTok or some random person on Twitter is able to encapsulate like your life experience in just like a very simple sentence, or you know, just be able to like synthesize something that you've you you know you, you that leads you to think about something in a new way, and that's kind of what I try to do, right? Like when I say like I give kind of insights on stuff kind of generally you know i try and kind of synthesize my experience without giving like too much detail um but mm. like enough to be like i've been there i've been through this thing and i wonder if you relate to this too um mm. that's kind of the the aim you know when i started my page my page is kind of more um like information based now like when i first started it was purely for entertainment like i did not set out like you know wanting to do this as my job i kind of accidentally fell into it um you know i started as a meme page like i was posting memes about polyamory um and i was just like ah this is just something i went through hope you guys relate and people were like oh my god this is so niche but so relatable um and they share my stuff (laughs) and then over time you know people would be like hey can you talk more about this in this topic and then so kind of this is how it evolved to like what it is today but ultimately i do still want to center lived experience because i think it's really important for people to talk 
like, you know, personally, like about stuff that's happening to them. Um, but also have boundaries around like, you know, revealing like names and locations and things like that. I don't think anyone who wants to learn more about your relationship to a topic is also is trying to be like, yeah, but I want like, you know, um, the the jobs, locations and births, birth charts of your partners. Right. They uh-huh. hear you the- would be you would be surprised. <laughs> I mean, look, some do. Look, I get a fair share. I started yeah. this show talking to my exes. Right. So it's like mm, I have my fair course. share of dudes who hit me up to be like, yeah, but are they hot? Do you have pictures? That, that's always going to exist. And I'm just like, yeah. fuck off. But generally, I hear, for example, it's like when you say, um, you know, if I have a threesome, I'll talk about threesomes, but I'm more interested to also hear not even the gritty details of that threesome, but rather your feelings about threesomes in addition to your tips about threesomes. So not just here's Mm -hmm. like three tips about threesomes, but also like, well, here's what I like in threesomes generally. Here's what I don't like. Oh, here's an act about the thing that. I didn't like that encapsulates why I generally don't like in a threesome. That's mm-hmm. where I'm like, that's that. So that's where I'm getting at where if you don't have like say credentials then you say lived experience and I'm all mm-hmm. on board with that. But then it's like one does need to give some of that lived experience. Some of those, some of those anecdotes in a private and respecting the identity markers kind of way, but like still speaking your experience or your preferences yeah. speak through yeah, the absolutely. lived experience. No, yeah. I a hundred percent agree with that. And you know, like, um and i do that right like for example you know the post that just that just came out today as i am recording this episode um you know the post that just went up friendly reminder that it's okay to leave a polyamorous relationship i find that a lot of non-monogamous people put pressure on themselves and to to stay to prove to others that polyamory works and as someone who has been there don't your your happiness and safety is more important and so you know that's kind of what i mean by like I reveal a bit about what I've been through, but like, I don't go into like too much detail about the when and how and where. Um, but then Mm -hmm. I also, you know, kind of provide like insight on that, you know? Um, so that's the balance that I strike and it's a struggle doing that every day. (laughs) Um, and sometimes, you know, like I'll make a joke on my TikTok about like this, like super crazy threesome I had or something. And then people will be like, Whoa, wow. You know, but, but but yeah, like it's, it's still not going to be, uh, it, you know, I I don't want it to be like I said. Like, I'm happy to show like bits, like snapshots, right? Yeah. Like, I have like a whole like a, I have a I also have a hashtag like hashtag polyamory is where um I kind of talk like give like specific snapshots of my life, but it's still it's still a balance, right? Like, I still kind of don't want it to be like a daily thing where I'm like, here's like where we went today, and here's the the date where I went on, here's yeah. what we did, yeah. Um, I, but I you know, know I know me as a fan, I'm not too. I don't follow those people who are posting all that because they go like, oh, I don't, I don't need to know like every moment you did every day. I'm just like, you know, when someone's going to give me the advice, I usually want to know like how they came to that advice rather than like maybe they were just sitting around and be like, yeah, I think this is the thing. Now you have other partners, uh, romantic partners, right? Mm-hmm. At the moment, so yes. do you le- do you when when you go to not even just when you did the breakup? I mean, I imagine you were like planning this breakup. Are you? consulting with them like are you asking for advice from them do you just seek emotional support from them like how do your other partners um play into you breaking up with a different partner great question so um the moment that i realized that the relationship was on the out um you know 
and you know obviously this didn't happen in a vacuum right it wasn't like everything was fine and then one day i was like you know what i'm out of here um you know like things have been building up for a while as it usually does in you know like in, in a lot of relationships um so it wasn't like my other partners were not aware of kind of all the things that had been going on and all the things that we'd been working through so but you know um, I, I have two other partners. Um, one of them I've been seeing for a year and the other one I've been seeing for eight months and the relationship that I just broke up with uh, that have been four and a bit years. And, you know, my, my two other partners, their position from start to finish was do what's best for you. They never tried to tell me you should do this or you should do that. Um, they did, you know, give their opinion if I asked, right? But then it was never like unsolicited, unsolicited like you should do this or whatever, you know? Like I think we were all this is something that I really appreciate about them that, you know, like they never tried to sway me either way. Um, but if I asked for their opinion, if I asked for their consult, you know, if I were like, you know, what would you do um, if this happened to you? Or like, you know, am I being crazy? Like, do you think that this is appropriate or this is reasonable? Or like, you know, how do you think I should phrase this? You know, they then they would, they would answer, right? So mm-hmm. we were all very boundaried with our interactions on that front. And, you know, I think when I ultimately made the decision to break up with my partner, they, you know, like they were sad for me, uh, but they understood why, you know, and they understood that it was a decision that I felt empowered to do. They supported, they were there to support me through it. So, you know, I, 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 this is the tricky thing, right? Because this is something that a lot of people kind of talk to me about, like, to what extent do you share, like with your other partners, like what is going on in your other relationships? And like, Mm -hmm. you know, because there's a line, right? You know, you don't want to get to a point where you're like bitching to someone about your other partner. Like, I don't think that's appropriate. Um, But then, you know, there's a line between like doing that, but also like, you know, completely just being like, everything's fine and pretending everything's fine. And, you know, like, this has nothing to do with us. We can just live in our fantasy world when I'm spending time with you. And I don't want, I don't want either of those realities. So it's about kind of finding a balance in the middle, because I do think that when issues crop up, we should be able to talk about them. And, you know, sometimes if you're the one in the relationship, you don't realize uh, the kind of toxic patterns that are being perpetuated. And sometimes it takes talking to someone else, you know, like a friend, a partner, whoever, uh, and for them to get an outside perspective and for them to look at it more objectively and be like, hey, there's some shit going on here that, you know, I'm going to flag, right? Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like, just just generally speaking, um, you know, they they were very much there for me specifically. You know, they were they were happy to go with me on like whatever I decided to do. And ultimately for me, it was ending the relationship and they supported me through that. What does supporting Leanne through a breakup look like? Is is it like, hey, can we go on some walks? Do you have like a, a board game? You're like, can we please play that game? I know you guys don't <laughs> like to play. Uh, it's like, 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 what does taking care of you look like? I am not a board game polyamorous. Firstly, wow. <laughs> I love it. It's a st- I know the stereotype. It's very funny. Um, I did have a Dungeons and Dragons group for a while, and one of my partners does rock climbing, and we do love Renfairs, but you know we don't fit all the stereotypes. <laughs> um, okay, but to answer your question, um, I mean. Like, I think, like, the way I process breakups is, um, you know, like, I guess, like, not not traditional. Um, you know, like, some people, they're like, uh, you know, I want to go to Rebound. I'm going to, like, go out and fuck. And some people are like, I want to, like, stay in my room and cry and watch movies and eat ice cream. Uh, for me, um, you know, something that 
because having been through breaks in the past, I, I know what I'm like. So then what I said to my partners was, I'm going to be in like emotionless logistics planning mode for a while, for maybe mm. like one to two weeks. Um, because I mean, there are a lot of logistical things that I needed to do to like disentangle myself from my partner because we live together um, and we shared finances. Um, wow. So then, so then I uh, like, I took on the responsibility of, you know, like, yeah, sorting all of that out, like canceling plans, refunding tickets, um, you know, like unlinking our, our dating profiles, like, you know, changing our passwords, uh, going through our accounts to see like which of the furniture he was going to pay me back for, like removing my, like emailing our landlord to tell him I'd be moving out, things like that. Right. When do you like, get the cry during all of that? That's, that's so after, much work. <laughs> after. That's what I, that's what I said after. So I said okay. to my partners, I will probably have a breakdown in about a month's time. But in the meantime, I'm going to be in logistics mode. Um, and it's only until I feel like everything's settled and everything's calm, I've taken care of everything, then I'm going to fall apart. And mm. you will have to support me through that. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I, and I, I think uh, one of my partners uh, said to me, you know, like when, because, you know, I decided I was going to break up with a partner and then three days later I did it and I did everything. Like, you know, I'm, I I had everything in place. I moved out immediately so we wouldn't have to see each other post, post the breakup. Every, you know, I tried to make it as clean a break as I possibly could for myself and for him. Um, and my other partner said to me, you did not fuck around. <laughs> she was just like, you, you, you said you were going to do it and, and you did it. You didn't, you didn't dither. You didn't like, you know, like, like have second thoughts. Like, you know, you just did it and you did all the logistics. And then when it happened, it happened. I mean, I had the breakup plan down to the minute. I was like, I'm going to come back for the, for the podcast recording, which didn't end up happening, but the podcast recording is at six. It'll probably end around seven or seven thirty. The breakup will happen at seven thirty. My friend, you're going to come downstairs with your car ready and you're going to pick me up after I finish the breakup. And then you're going to drive me to this person's house. And then I'm going to stay the night. And then the next day I'm going to be with this family friend where I'll be staying until I find a new place to live. Like, you know, I, I kind of just went, I was honestly in a bit of fl fight or flight mode. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, and because I, I, I knew that I knew that I needed to sort everything out because if I fell apart before then, then I wouldn't be able to. And so I did all of that before I did. I wonder also, you know, and it, this can be what, uh, this could be what I might be suggesting. It also, I, it could be totally not that and just how one is, but do you think like, um, the neurodivergency plays any role in that? Do you think there's something about like, if I have all this planned, like I'm a little safer emotionally because there's a plan and it's very set up. Yes. Um, I think it's a combination, right? Because I'm autistic and ADHD. And so kind of the autism comes out with like all the intense planning and the kind of like, yeah, you know, kind of the zeroing and, and kind of stuff like that and uh, like the hyper communication and all that. And then the ADHD comes out with like the hyper focus, right? Like the kind of the, the constant kind of the lots of different thoughts coming in. Um, and then yeah, and that kind of clashing with the autism. So it's very interesting. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely the neurodivergence plays a part. Um, and I process emotions like a little differently because of uh, because I'm autistic. Um, and uh, sometimes it even takes me a little while to figure out like what I'm actually feeling. Um, it's a phenomenon called alexithymia, I believe. Um, so it's, um, so, so yeah, like, yeah, the neurodivergence absolutely plays a part. Mm -hmm. Do you, where, where else uh, does the autism play a role in, your sex and dating life, um, how you experience it, how you practice it. Um, I think like, I, I think like, you know, something that I've talked about on my platform before is the fact that, um, I think being autistic, uh, because I've known I was autistic since I was a very young age because I was diagnosed, um, autistic, like when I was like five or six, but the ADHD diagnosis actually came like last year, last July. So 
when you're autistic, a lot of social norms don't make sense to you anyway. Um, mm-hmm. got a lot of stuff around like gender, sexuality, uh, you know, just like social norms. You don't kind of take them for granted the way that neurotypical people do. You kind of have to figure out like, you know, everyone else has the rule book and you're just trying to like figure it out and make a lot of mistakes. And so, you know, and no one gives you fucking benefit doubt if you make those mistakes. Exactly. Everyone, we all got, we were all there. I feel like I missed that day of school. You know what I mean? Like, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I'm not I'm not diagnosed, but like everything about me says, um, as one partner says, uh, the touch of the tism. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. I think yeah. it'd be funny if I say tickle the tism. I don't know. I feel like yeah. tickle's funnier, but it, it, but just the idea that um, yeah, like there's all these rules and I broke them, and no one will tell me how or why I broke them, but they will tell me I broke them and they hate me because of it. And I'm like, yeah. I wouldn't have done it if someone had. If I knew that was the, just give me the yeah. list. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. Just I just you know. Yeah, like the way I the way I try and describe it to people is, um, it's like learning a foreign language. So I, I speak four languages, and um, like something that I find, you know, when kind of learning a new language is, it's very similar to the way that I navigate the world of being autistic because it's like, yeah, like I can I can say the things, but you know, I might not understand the culture or like the slang or like, you know, just the things that people who are native to that country, like just, just know. Um, and, you know, I take time to figure it out. And, and I, the, the way I, the way I go about life, you know, as an autistic person is the same. Yeah. Like I could talk to people, you know, like I like to socialize. I like the same, you know, the, the same kind of stuff, but then there's always something that people just find a little bit off. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, like, you know, uh, kind of the way I try and blend in is yeah like it's kind of like trying to assimilate into a into a culture that I'm not very familiar with um mm-hmm. and you know and this is, this is maybe why like autism like previously like very derogatorily um was referred to as wrong planet syndrome um because yeah like you're what yeah 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 like it's a thing like uh, it was like you know people would say wrong planet syndrome instead of saying someone was autistic what that's <laughs> yeah. such a crazy name for a thing <laughs> yeah oh my gosh <laughs> What if we called something else that, you know, the guy in the wheelchair, that's a, he's in for wrong planet syndrome on his planet. They, they're all in chairs. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so it's Crazy. like, it's like, and it's this, this alien, you know, they treat us like aliens. And um, uh, there was a study that actually came out like last week about how, um, you know, the way that, the way that neurotypical people perceive um, neurodivergent people, uh, apparently like with some of the things they do, there's an uncanny valley, like, you know, like Uncanny Valley, which is like what you say, like when you see like robots that act like a little, a little human, but not quite. And, and it's like, that's really bizarre that they see us in the same way that they talk to like an, a, like a neurodivergent person. And the moment they break convention, they're like, are they human? Are they a robot? And it's like, yeah. it's, it was, it was wild to me. Like I saw that study and I was like, whoa. Um, and yet somehow, <laughs> you know, we're able to do these one-on-one sexual or romantic connections and I don't know, like, I don't know why I'm able to do that mm. versus in a group of friends, of people, that's a struggle for me. So I, yeah. I, and I feel like it's almost like some of the social norms for some people, at least the ones I connect with, get stripped away a bit. I think the, mm. those I connect with the most also don't believe in all the social norm stuff and they yeah. don't buy into all that. So exactly. then like, then that's stripped away. Now we're just two people trying to connect versus now we're in this more complicated group scenario. We're all trying to fit in and there's all these competing motivations and things going on that I don't get. 
Yeah, no, that's the point I was trying to make, right? Like mm. when you're autistic, when you're neurodivergent, a lot of social norms don't make sense to you anyway. So then being in a non-monogamous relationship, being in a polyamorous relationship is really liberating because you are literally encouraged to make up, make it up on your own. You're literally mm. encouraged to tailor your relationships according to what makes sense to you and the people that you're with rather than following, you know, this conventional script that may, script that may not work for everyone. So kind of that's why I think there's such a huge overlap between... Um, neurodivergence and queerness and polyamory mm-hmm. because I think and, and kink uh, and you know I think they're all and board games and I think they're all like connected. <laughs> all those things have a lot of rules right there's a lot of rules we like them we know the rules typically yeah big fan. yeah so then so then um yeah like you know you can you do your own thing you go your own way um and so yeah like I think that's why uh because you know if you're already you're already being forced to be unconventional just by the nature of who you are, whether mm-hmm. because you're queer or whether because you're autistic or whatever. It or Monopoly is your so favorite much- game, you know? Yeah. It's either <laughs> way. <laughs> like, it makes it so much easier to then question everything else. It's like, well, okay, that definitely doesn't work for me. That conventional norm does not work for me. You know, I'm not straight. That that can't work. What else doesn't work for me? What else doesn't fit in my life? And how can I change that to make make you know, make it work for me. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, like hence the overlap, right? Hence the Venn diagram. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so, uh, you know, on this, on this, uh, you know, this post you have up, uh, this, this tweet thread or this post on Instagram. Uh, another thing you say is, um, you know, if your ex is still in your polycule, talk to the rest of the polycule about next steps, new boundaries on future contact and privacy, setting up separate containers for support. Uh, you know, is, the breakup you just went through still in the polycule or have you been through a breakup in the past where there's still someone in the thing and now you got to navigate that? So my ex, my now ex is okay. actually my meta, meta, meta more. I know what a metamore is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I so- know what like a great, 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 great <laughs> grandson is. I, I don't think I know what a four metamor is. So then, I mean, if you blend those two concepts together, you know, he's my, Partners, husbands, partners, boyfriend. Okay, so like, I, okay, so like, I feel like you'd only have to see him though at like the grandest of festivities, right? Like anything <laughs> with like a fifty-plus person invite list, you might see him. But I feel like on like a, a six-person uh, uh, hangout, I feel like that's something you get to you can avoid easier when it's that well, far away. You know, it's like you seeing say, that like third yeah. cousin you never see. I mean, you say that, but then, um, you know, the thing is we aren't just kind of connected through romantic relationships, right? Like, you mm. know, technically, yeah, okay, through, like, the the polycule, if we're talking, like, romantic connections, like, sure, like, he's, like, four times removed. But, you know, I am I am very close friends with my partner's husband. So then, okay. you know, now you, that jumps down, d- jump, jumps down a level. I was building a close friendship. I was hoping to build a close friendship with his other partner when, you know, we were, I guess, in a V. Um, and so, you know, like that, that's now kind of like up for renegotiation because, you know, because of like the distance that I want to put between us, like for our own healing, um, that's a, that's a friendship that I will have to put on pause indefinitely. So, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah, like you have, you have kind of very uh, deep connections with people that aren't necessarily romantic. Right. And so, you know, it is complicated because like, yeah, like the six of us had a group chat <laughs> and we All used right. to hang out. Yeah. Now, now it's got to be fractured, like with my family, where there's like seven different group chats that like ex- exclude or include a person based on who's fighting with who in the family at Pretty any much. given point in time. Yeah, what what what, did, what have those conversations sounded like um, for for you in the past? Like, you know, when you're talking about 
renegotiating this entire cluster. Uh, obviously, group chat looks differently. It's affected a friendship you were hoping to build. What other considerations um, you know, do people need to look out for when this happens? Well, there were like four or five couples that me and my partner had kind of hooked up with like last year um, that we were hoping to get back in touch with for some, you know, fun, sexy times. Um, but then, you know, like just various scheduling conflicts meant that we hadn't seen them in a while. So then I had to reach out to them and be like, hey, about that foursome we were going to have at some point. Uh, that's not happening anymore. Uh, but I do have another boyfriend if you're interested. Um, so, um, so, you know, things like that, right? And then I had to reach out to like, Comet partners who we see like very infrequently um, and then say to them like, hey, you know, uh, we're not together anymore, but I'm more than happy for you to pursue like a, a connection with them separately from me. Um, but we will need to talk about what the boundaries of that will look like, right? If you want to maintain a friendship or like sexual relationship with both of us. Mm-hmm. You know, so, and then, yeah, like, you know, reaching out to, like, his friends and being like, hey, you know, like, it was really nice to get to know you, but, like, so as not to complicate our, like, you know, your loyalties yeah. to your best friend, I feel like, you know, maybe we should take a step back. And then kind of reaching out to 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 his 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 mother and saying, like, oh, you know, like, oh. I, like, you know, and things like that. And and being like, hey, you know, um, like, um, you know, I hope, I hope, hope things go well for you. Like, I'm really sorry about how things turned out. Like, you know, I was thinking of everyone that we were connected to in whatever way possible. Right. So are you doing even like kind of the more trivial comet partner? Like, you know, I, I guess at what point do you say, like, do you make this big list and go, I don't really got to inform them or, you know, I don't got to, okay, I can, I can just let them know if they reach out or do you, did you really just go down the line and get it all? I went, I went down, the, I went down the line because I yeah. was primarily kind of the person who did a lot of like the kind of, you know, maintaining connections kind of thing yeah. and the logistics. I mean, it was something I was good at and something that I, w- I really enjoyed doing. So I didn't mind doing that. And it was kind of also good to know that like I ticked that box. So then, you know, I wouldn't have to worry like about like in a couple months, someone reaching out and being like, hey, so about that threesome, I'd be All like, right. oh, uh, yeah, uh, no. Uh. So, you know, like I wanted to, I wanted to go down the line and sort that out as quickly as possible. So it would be a clean break. Would that would that really set you off if like six months later somebody said like, hey, you know, we're uh, we're, we're going to be visiting your country. And like that was hot that time. We do you two still <laughs> want to like you couldn't just like casually be like, oh, you know, we broke up, you know, six, eight months back. Um, but hey, I'm here. I got this. Would that really set you off to even be proposition like that? I mean, I don't think so. But then, you know, I just wanted to tie up as many loose ends as possible. You know, okay. that's just the kind of person that I am. Gotcha. I like to I like to leave I like to give myself and other people closure wherever possible. Okay. Now this now this next slide this is super super I mean this resonates very hard with me and I think this is a very popular thing. It this is even among people who don't have successful Instagram pages, right? The I the, the urge the the public part of the breakup in Polly. Depending where you live your poly crew might be like the poly crew and that's it. Right. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so gossip, this idea of like canceling your partner, um, uh, you know, hitting up all your other poly group chats to talk shit. That's something that's really real. Uh, it's real in any breakups, but I think in poly, it gets like amplified. Did you ever have the urge to do that did you have to stop yourself uh, have you seen this happen with uh poly friends of yours like what's your relationship to that urge to to gossip or cancel mm, after yeah i think this isn't this isn't like unique to polyamory right but i think obviously in polyamorous relationships everyone's just a little bit more intimately connected than you would typically expect people yeah. to be. Um, so then, you know, uh, the kind of information that's shared and kind of stuff like that, like the boundaries can be blurred if you don't talk about it. Um, but 
I mean, yeah, I'd be lying if I said I didn't have the urge, obviously. Mm. Um, but then, you know, I think like, I can fucking tweet yeah. right now. I can, <laughs> I can TikTok right now. You know how many people are going to see it? My impressions are good, buddy. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, I'd, I'd be lying if I didn't have that thought, right? But, you know, I think emotional maturity is about recognizing that your first thoughts are your upbringing and your second thoughts are like who you really are. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of controlling those impulses and being like, hmm, is this a good idea? And, you know, I had to do this with a bunch of other things as well. Like, for example, you know, after the breakup, like I moved out of, um, you know, what was previously me and my partner's shared home. Um, and then I had to find a new place. And living alone is really goddamn expensive. Um, and only becoming ever more so, right? Um, and I wanted to live alone specifically because if I lived with monogamous people, then, you know, they would judge me for my lifestyle. But then I lived with polyamorous people. Uh, they followed me. So, uh, so I had to live alone. Um, and... Uh, you know, so me and my other partner, my partner of eight months, uh, we were like, hmm, should we move in together? But then we thought about it and we were like, okay, would we be making this decision if not for the fact that A, we're really in love and B, I just broke up with my other partner? Like, would we have made this decision independently if not for kind of recent events? And we were like, no, we don't want to, like, you know, normally we would not be comfortable moving in with each other at eight months. So we were like, okay, that means you shouldn't do it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's, it's things like, you know, I think a big part of polyamory is impulse control because when there's so much freedom and autonomy, like, you know, I think a lot of people who are new to polyamory, they're like, oh my God, I could date all the people. I could do all the things. Whoa. And they jump into it (laughs) and they're like, you know, kid in the candy store. Um, and then they, they take on too much. They go on too many dates. And now they've got like 12 people that want a second date and you're that you're like, oh fuck. So, so then, so, you know, I think it is about, you know, being measured in your interactions like as much as it is like enjoying kind of the autonomy and freedom and you have it's, it's also about responsibility upholding the existing commitments that you've made and being able to follow through with sustain sustaining those connections um so yeah you know like it's a lot of uh yeah like you know it's okay to kind of like have like thoughts that are like inappropriate as long as you you know think about it and you know don't just like act on feeling i suppose Being a fellow public person who talks about dating, have you had partners try to publicly speak on you after maybe a bad breakup? Uh, no. Uh, and I purposefully date people who have little to no social media presence. Oof, that's smart. (laughs) That's a smart one. I... I could have I could have used that tip a long time. Ago. <laughs> <laughs> I just I, think you know it makes it it makes it it makes it so much easier, right? Because I actually like you know for me personally, right? I'm not on social media outside of my job, and I feel like I'm an, on enough social media for the for my entire polycule, to be honest. Sure. So, um, so so yeah, like you know, if I if I didn't if I wasn't doing polyphilia, like I'm literally not online at all. I after a breakup once, uh, I I saw them. Put- <laughs> I saw a tweet that they made that was something like, uh, <clears throat> looking back, I can't tell if I really liked him or I really liked his very expensive sex toys. I'm like, you're just trying to hurt my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is cold. That is cold. Oh, my God. Got to let that stuff run off my, run off my shoulders. Oh. Um, and, and then another slide in here that sticks out to me, and I know it doesn't apply to this particular breakup uh, for reasons that don't matter uh, to people right now, but but I will read this one. The beauty of polyamorous breakups, now that you're speaking about connections, is that sometimes you can restructure your connection instead of ending it completely. Uh, things may feel raw for a while, but if there are parts of your relationship that you feel would still work well in time, consider a de-escalation instead. 
have it you in the past done a de-escalation versus a full breakup? And if so, what were the factors that went into that decision? Mm. Yeah. So um, I think like de-escalation is a really interesting topic because, um, you know, yeah, like I think if you're able to salvage the parts of the connection that feel good to you and you are genuinely able to like, you know, fully grieve the bits that were lost and accept the new relationship for what it is without perpetuating, perpetuating like, you know, maybe any toxic patterns that you had in the relationship you had previously, absolutely go for it. But the thing is like, you know, what I have found in my own attempts to de-escalate relationships in the past, I've only had one successful de-escalation. Um, mm. And a lot of, in a, and in all the other cases, it was just much easier on us emotionally to have a clean break. Because, you know, it's one thing to be like, here are the bits I like and here are the bits I don't. Let's just move apart, move, you know, and let's just forget about the bits that we don't like and do and do the things that we do like. Like, yeah, okay, that looks great on paper. Emotionally, though, you know, it's very difficult to um, grieve, like, you know, grieve like the, the the parts of the relationship that are no longer a thing that you hoped would be a thing, but are not a thing. While keeping the bits that were good about the relationship, which makes you only hope that it was something more. So I think it's a very difficult balance to strike for a lot of people. And it's very difficult for quite a lot of people to accept, um, you know, the transition to like a new relationship, whether it's like, you know, going from like partners to like friends or, um, you know, uh, like spouses to co-parents or, or something fuck like that. buddies to platonic friends. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, so it's 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 really difficult to do, and I think it's uh, it really takes the right kind of people, the right kind of mindset, um, and and yeah, you know, the right circumstances. Um, and unfortunately, you know, a lot of the time it doesn't work out that way, but that's okay too. You know, for me, like you know, I wanted to de-escalate. You know, like me and my partner actually, like prior to breaking up, we did actually talk about like, hey, you know, do you think we could maybe like start living apart and maybe like having like other people like as nesting partners instead of each other because we had various incompatibilities around our nesting arrangement. And, but then, you know, like the, I, I think my partner was so attached to the idea of living with me that it was very difficult to conceive of the idea of living with someone else while maintaining a relationship with me. And mm. at the end of it, you know, when we talked about like, hey, so what are we now? What are we doing? You know, he said, I think it'd just be easier, you know, on us emotionally to have a clean break. And yeah. I fully respect that decision, right? Because sometimes it's like, it's not worth it. <laughs> Like sometimes it's like, yeah, okay, I could do that, but also it hurts too much and I can't be asked and that's okay. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think the tough part with de-escalation is like you both, I think part of the circumstances, you would both have to want to de-escalate and both want to de-escalate to like the same, like if you want to de-escalate to like a purely sexual relationship from a romantic one, mm. I mean, you're going to have to both want that. Otherwise, like the other side is going to be like, but I still love you and want this romantic relationship. So mm -hmm. I can't just fuck you. Like that's something that I've experienced where it's like, I don't think I could just fuck you. Like, and we're going to pretend we don't love each other. Uh, yeah. so like, you know, so it's like, no, uh, you'd yeah. have to both want those at the same time. Otherwise, otherwise yeah. the escalation, like you said, it's great on paper. Uh, I think it's a very emotionally difficult to, to, to practice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and the, the, the one de-escalation that I successfully did was, you know, a situation where we were best friends. There was like instant sexual chemistry when we first met, but then we didn't act on it for like two and a half years. Cause neither of us like, well, the circumstances didn't line up for like a really long time. And then we dated. And we dated for like four months. It was disaster. And we were like, wow, we are not romantically compatible. We have had this building up for like two and a half years and turns out it's not all that great. So so then we broke up and we took some time apart, like for about like, I don't know, like two months. And then we came together and we were like, 
We still have a really good sexual connection though. So let's, let's, let's do that. Let's, let's continue to do that. And we had a great friend with benefits relationship that lasted for a year and a half. Um, and then he got into a monogamous relationship, mm-hmm. um, at, which is still going on today, four years later. And we are, we are very good friends. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I got, I got one more question. This, this comes from our ask the guest channel in the champagne room. Uh, this is a patron only channel where, uh, if you ask a question, for my guests, I will ask them it. It doesn't have to be a good or bad. If this question's not good, I didn't write it. It's okay. And if it's great, unfortunately, I can't take credit. Uh, so, so if y'all are interested in that, join the Patreon. You'll get access to that. Uh, but this one comes from Chuck. Uh, Chuck asks, with everything going on with social media and the way people are getting information and misinformation, um, this plays a little bit into how we started the podcast, but do you think social media is an effective medium to really educate people about polyamory? Mm. I think that's a great question. <laughs> um, so I think social media is a great way to raise awareness about things. Um, you know, like, it, you know, you can, you can utilize the algorithm to get views and kind of get people talking about something, right? You know, that's why like so many social media outlets are now kind of like maximizing the advertising kind of like revenue and stuff like that, because that's, that's what it's about, like putting things in front of people and making them aware of certain things, whether it's a product or a movement or a person or like whatever the fuck. So uh, I think like in one sense, you know, like that's kind of, uh, like a like a big thing about my platform like I make bite-sized content I make easily accessible content so that people can see it can digest it very easily don't have to spend too long on it and start thinking about it for themselves you know whether I like uh you know and I, I think if people stay a little longer then they might get educated but then I think like the main aim is just to put the word polyamory in people's heads and get them to get the wheels to start turning and if I'm able to do that even for like you know, just like a random person in like bumfuck nowhere in like a red state, um, you know, I feel like I've done my job. So, you know, it, yes and no, essentially is kind of what I'm trying to say, uh, because uh, yeah, like social media can be used for good or ill. Uh, and, you know, like the, you know, and I think the way like sometimes like bite-sized content, like, you know, it, it doesn't have like a lot of nuance and, you know, like it, but it starts a conversation. It gets people to do their own research, to do their own thinking. And I think that's where the real learning starts. You know, and, and and before we go, I I gotta ask. So, are you? Do you still feel like you're in the managerial phase of this breakup? I mean, I don't really know. <laughs> have you um, had your time to? Have you have you started? Have you felt this breakup yet? Uh, yes, in 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 little bits, right? Like I've had I've had like a two hour therapy session to process it. You know, I've processed with my partners. You know, um, I've had the time to kind of express kind of like anger and sadness about the whole thing. Um, but you know, I think it's not a linear process, right? Like you know, uh, the five stages of grief and all that. Um, so I expect you know it'll 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 come up in like little bits you know, like, uh, as, as time goes on, but, you know, things are looking up for me. Um, I, I found a really nice flat to move into. It's in a really nice part of town. Um, I'll be, it's big enough that I'll be able to host my partners. Um, I'm really excited about moving in with one of my partners in the future. If things kind of work mm. out that way, me and my two partners in Metamore have kind of grown a lot closer as a result of all this. And we've now kind of started forming what I think may turn into kind of like a bisexual unicorn quad, like where mm. all four of us are like, literally mm-hmm. all four of us are bi. And all four of us are like now like 
involved with each other in various ways. So like, I'm very excited about the possibility stretching before me. And, you know, it makes, it makes me more affirmed in my decision that, you know, like this, that this breakup was the right thing to do. Um, and I'm also really glad that, you know, I was able to recognize the fundamental incompatibilities and the vicious cycles we'd fallen into and get out of that at the right time before things got too ugly. And so, you know, now I hope me and him can heal and move on and have the lives that we want to live apart. And so, you know, things are going well for me. I hope things are going well for him too. Mm -hmm. And I also think this all goes to show it's like just because someone is considered an expert in a field or is an influencer in a space, you know, in, in the dating world, that does not make us immune from falling into bad relationships or uh, being attracted to toxic, you know, patterns or people or, or just having relationships that don't go the way we want. I, 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 that, that we are, you are allowed to have relationships that fail as well. Uh, mm -hmm. And you are allowed to make the same mistakes you tell people not to make because we're all fucking humans trying to figure it out. And, yeah. uh, you know, sex and, and, and dating is certainly not a science. Yeah, and I am uh, I am extremely candid about the many, many, many mistakes that I have made on my polyamorous journey on my Patreon. <laughs> well, that sounds like some spice worth uh, worth signing up for. <laughs> uh, Leanne, just uh, real quick, because I, uh, I don't know your time, and it sounds like you're a very scheduled person based off this conversation. Oh, um, I'm ch I'm chill for this evening. You know, you got you got me all evening. Cool, cool. So you down do like a would you be down to do a little Patreon bonus episode? I was thinking maybe we could keep it spicy behind the paywall uh do do maybe some like your poly controversial or hot takes oh god uh i don't know if these are hot takes i mean i definitely have like incendiary takes um in the sense that love like i love that word um yeah you know like <laughs> i, I, I <laughs> so well, <laughs> um i definitely have like takes that like definitely cause a lot of controversy but i also think i'm right so i don't know if they're hot um but well, well i know i think that i think that makes i think that's quite exactly what makes sense it's like oh no no i'm right and you just haven't figured it out yet uh so <laughs> that sounds perfect uh so patreon folks you're gonna hear that drop tomorrow but for now leanne where can people go to find you follow you and take in your work Sure. So I have uh, the same handle on multiple platforms. My handle is polyphilia blog, P-O-L-Y-P-H-I-L-I-A-B-L-O-G. You can find me on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook. I also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash polyphilia blog, where, um, yeah, you can find all my bonus content. Um, and I have a website, polyphilia.blog. I make it very easy for people to find me. Um, and yeah, uh, you know, apart from like doing kind of free content on my page, like uh, I, yeah, like I said, I run a Patreon. I also offer private peer support to individuals couples polycules um you know uh you know i'm just a person on the internet you can talk to me um if you relate to my content and want to talk to someone who gets it basically and i have a shop as well where i sell cool polyamory merch i i did take a peek at the merch i was like this is impressive i gotta step my game up uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh leanne thank you so much for opening up to us and and letting us in a little bit more uh Behind the polyphilia, uh, this is great. And uh, thank you so much. Why don't you go ahead and say goodbye to everybody? All right. Um, it was it was really great talking to you, Billy. Um, and uh, yeah, like, thank you for listening to my... Uh, I'm going to do that again. <laughs> okay. Um, what do you mean say goodbye? I don't know what to say. Um, yeah, thank you for having me on the podcast, Billy. It was great speaking with you. I love honoring this struggle. <laughs> You're like, what do I say to say goodbye? I'm like, some people just go with bye, but like, I'm going to watch how this plays out. <laughs> <laughs>
Wait, 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 wait. Can you just, there's more poly content if you like that stuff, okay? If you just wait just a minute or two, you're going to get another couple minutes of polyamory content with Lian Yao. Just hold up a second, okay? I'm going to play a little teaser for you in a moment. All the links to me and my guests this week, all of them, it's always in the show notes. Everything you need, they in the show notes. Do go follow Leanne. Go follow Dr. Nicole Prowsey. You'll see a link to her study in the show notes, right? See all my bullshits in there. The best and most private place to share your thoughts on this week's show is in the episode discussion channel in the Champagne Room, our super free, super fun, say it again, Chuck, super sex positive Discord server. Totally free to join. Come on in. Where's the link? In the show notes. Or go to manwhorepod.com slash discord. Uh, if you want to share your thoughts directly with me, send your comments, your questions, your queries, your criticisms. Yes, Mary Beth, your titty pictures. Yes, it's, it's okay. Uh, to manwhorepod at gmail.com. Now, I have a bonus episode with Leanne that comes out tomorrow exclusively on Patreon, where she's going to share her, uh, her incendiary takes on polyamory. I'm about to play a little teaser clip of that bonus episode. And like I said earlier, if you want to listen to these two bonus episodes with Dr. Nicole Prowsey and Leanne Yao, you you can give me $5. You also can just try it out for free with my seven-day free trial on Patreon. Give it a try. Stick around if you like it. Stick around if you think I deserve a few dollars. And if you don't, I ain't mad at you. But for now, everybody, um, I I, got to go reward myself for... It might have been six hours of edging, and I think I deserve a goddamn snack like Rex Ryan. I'm going to McDonald's, and I'm going to even I'm going to get crazy. I'm going to fucking milkshake. Stay thirsty, everybody, and stay slutty. Not only do I think there are monogamous people who think they're monogamous, but they're not because they want other partners. I say any couple that does threesomes is not monogamous. They might only do a threesome once a year for the anniversary, but then you are not it. That is a on off. That is a yes or no switch of monogamy. It's you are, or you aren't non-monogamy has a spectrum, but monogamy, Mm -hmm. like the one rule is you don't fuck other people. So if you fuck other people together, you fucked other people. You're not monogamous. Welcome to the club. Here's your key. (laughs) <laughs> that's my that's yeah. my take and it, in my way that to me not only is it factually correct but also i think it invites so many more people into being like oh i guess what we do isn't technically the norm i guess that does make us part of them and then maybe they're not wrong either like i used to think because i'm now closer to them than i thought yeah like i do think it is a spectrum um Although having said that, I do disagree with you that like monogamy is a spectrum and uh, monogamy is not a spectrum and non-monogamy is because I do actually see like the monogamy to polyamory thing like on a continuum. Um, And uh, for a couple of reasons, like I think, yeah, like, you know, there are people, there are like mostly monogamous people who have the occasional threesome. And, you know, there are a lot of people who are like monogamish, like as Dan Savage would put it, right? Um, I hate also, monogamish like, as a term. That's, <laughs> that's, that's where I, that's where I start. That's where my, my injunction is. It's like, there is no monogamish. It, the, the, if the definition is you don't have sex with other people, once you have sex with other people, you are just no longer that. Now you're Anything you want, you could put monogamish in the non-monogamy umbrella and I'll shut up about it. 
But like mm-hmm. otherwise, I go, those are just people who don't want to identify with the non-norm. That's like that is the person who maybe is just I think there are people who don't want to be lumped into a group they perceive to be oppressed. Mm 